0: Welcome to Dynasty Theory, your source for everything Dynasty fantasy football, with your host, John Bauer. I'm
1: looking to sell everybody price-dependent.
0: Dan LaMagna.
1: Too much dysfunction in Cleveland.
0: And Mitch Sorensen.
2: Well,
1: it's hard to compete with excellence. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dynasty Theory, a proud member of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Bauer. You can find me on Twitter, at The Bauer Club. And guys, I feel like we just did this, but once again, I'm joined by Dan LaMagna, and that is at Dan on Twitter. What's up, Dan?
0: Man, I'm hot now, buddy. It's like a a doubleheader here, from Liz Loza last night to awesome guy here tonight, man. You know, I know we're talking Dynasty, but uh, tonight's guest has been a big part of my DFS prep every year. We listen to like a gazillion podcasts, so I'm ready to talk some football tonight. I know our listeners are going to get a treat.
1: Well, if his DFS strategy is what you have been using, it has to be good because Dan, I know typically your strategies aren't too great and you've, you've had success. So we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> our guest a little bit more as the show goes, but we're also joined by Mitch Sorensen. That's at Dino MC on Twitter. What's up, Mitch? What's up guys.
2: I just got home from work. So yeah, I, t- I ran downstairs, played with the kid for a minute and jumped on. So I probably don't have anything set up properly.
1: I say the same thing every week, but it's always true. And I actually had somebody reach out to me earlier today, and they brought up this point. Every week I say we have the best guest bar none, and it is no different tonight. The host of PFF Fantasy Podcast, and I think the the captain of the the helicopter dropped down there on Twitter because when he does this, you know that player is going to go off. But none other than Ian Harditz. That's at iHarditz on Twitter. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. What's going on?
3: Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah, I'm also the uh, unofficial president of the Cordero Patterson Fan Club, and that's about (laughs) it for the titles. But, yeah, happy to uh, talk some ball. I am mostly redraft DFS, but I like talking Dynasty, too. It just kind of forces you to, you know, take some long-term stances on guys. So excited Mm -hmm. to uh, see what you guys think about some of these dudes.
1: But even, and we say this all the time, even for Dynasty the short-term outcomes, they really do have an impact on values. Because even for Dynasty, as long-term as it is, and Mitch, you just brought this up, I think, two weeks ago, week one, a player could have a certain value. It could flip week two, week three, week four. And we see it time and time again. But before we get into the Dynasty talk, what we've been doing with our guests, you took part in Scott Fishbowl 10. How do you feel about your team? You know, With the draft behind us, what's something that you would have changed based on the way your division drafted?
3: Oh, I'm feeling great about the team. If I was a part of the tech deck, I'd be pretty freaking worried right now. But my uh, Antonio Brown in the 11th pick is looking less sharp by the day. Was feeling uh, all right about that at first, but other than that, man, I don't know. I guess I probably didn't take the uh, you know tight end weighted tight end weighted quarterback strategy quite as much as I should have. You know, waited kind of long to get those guys. So. I I use, like, late-round guys I do like. I mean, getting Joe Burrow in the 7th, Cam Newton in the 8th, Noah Fant in the 10th, Blake Jarwin in the 12th, Gerald Everett in the 16th. I mean, I like the groups of guys, but, in a you know, it probably looks better in a redraft format as as, as compared to, you know, this tight end premium thing we had going on. So Mm
1: -hmm. we'll see what happens. And especially in Scott Fishbowl, he throws – and we love Scott on the show – but we we have to give him a hard time because every year he throws out these scoring formats. And as as owners in these leagues, we're like, come on, Scott, like, what the hell is this? And it's going to completely throw everything off because you get the points for the first downs then the negative points for quarterbacks and all these different areas. So we're going to see how it plays out. You mentioned you love your team. And I think most people love their team, but you sound extremely confident. What's your favorite pick that you made? And you can only pick one.
3: I was just fawning over it earlier, and my girlfriend was like, what are you looking at? And I was like, I'm just roster baiting, all right? Give me a break. But yeah, I mean, look at these top six picks, guys. I was going from 1.02. I got Saquon Barkley. I get Devontae and uh, freaking DeAndre Hopkins on the wraparound. Then go James Conner and Melvin Gordon. And then there's Stephon Diggs the round end of round six. So just got the nice core of RBs and some dope wide receivers while we were at it. Uh, in the later rounds, I mean, Curtis Samuel around 15. I'm pulling the trigger on that, dude every time i guess i'm a little bit biased being a columbus boy and all but i don't know like new offense we know the talents there he's still a young guy i think uh you know he could get that low a dot slot role and eat this year and then finally uh jalen hurd in round 18 man this dude could be exciting especially yeah. if they give him those uh debo rush attempts that'll i be missing so had to you know stay on brand round 22 get uh get my guy cordero patterson to round things out
1: <laughs> but other than that it was smooth smooth sailing all right, Ian. I, 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 you could only pick one, and you just rattled off thirty-eight players. I told They're you the same thing like like you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ian. I'm the same way. I, I'll tell Mitch and Dan. All right, guys, pick one player you want to talk mm-hmm. about, and I have a scroll that I, that I unleash and I talk about so many different players. So I can appreciate that. See, we, guys. We've
0: learned. We've learned something here tonight, John. The right side of the screen is very
1: disciplined and, and structured, <laughs> and the yeah. left side of the screen, man, it, it's no. All bets off.
3: Off the rails. <laughs> you can't
1: stop this creativity, Dan. That's what it is. So, Dan, Mitch, Dan, let's start with you. What do you think about this team? I, On paper, I think it looks amazing. Yeah,
0: you know, knowing Ian like I do, just listen to his podcast. I see a lot of his, you know, hot tape players, you know, even though he mentions, you know, like Curtis Samuel being an Ohio boy, but there's something to Samuel that people are just forgetting. I mean, he did look good at times on film last year. I think I even heard someone on Twitter say something about him. Is he really like the backup running back in Carolina? Just kind of like a sneaky pick. Jalen Hurd, you know, you could tell Ian's analysis of, you know, will he get those carries that Debo has, you know, there's some deep thought into some of those picks. I love Cam Newton, buddy. I'm with you. I'm, i it, it probably was right up to the fishbowl where it was like, I was in the fifth round and our quarterbacks went crazy in our division. And the, that light bulb just went off and I've been on the cam bandwagon yeah. since. And I cuffed him with Stidham like you did in the 19th. So some nice picks there. He's got the nucleus of a good roster. And, uh, you know, I think we we said what do we say, John? We all feel great about
1: our team, so you know yeah. we're, we're ready to the battle here. I already chalked it up. I'm going 15 and 0. I'm going to go 12 and 0. Get the first, you know, the bye week. Um, and this actually goes very well with last night's episode because Liz Loza she says she has Cam Newton as quarterback 11 in wow. 2020. So that you, you should feel pretty good there, Ian. And I'm sure you know. Obviously, you've done your fair share of work and research on this as well, Mitch. Any thoughts here on anything? that really stands out to you. And Ian, we're not going to bring up Antonio Brown in the 11th. Yeah, we'll
2: skip him. But in the 13th and 14th, Chase Edmonds and Derrington Evans, they're both guys that could absolute smash. So in a place like the Scott Fish Bowl, those are perfect picks in those later rounds. So I love those two. They're my two favorite picks.
1: Well, behind Chase Edmonds, he's got to be – the The immediate backup there for Kenyon Drake, if there's an injury, if there's any issue with COVID nineteen, we don't know how that's going to play out. But I chase that's just pure upside. And when I talk to people, especially in redraft leagues, the backgrounds we should just be targeting upside. And I think that's exactly what you did. You have some safer picks there. I love Randall Cobb in the seventeenth, but you know Jamichael Hasty, Andy Isabella, there's straight upside, and I absolutely love it.
0: Let me let me ask you, you know, one question about his strategy here, because here. It, this is the going into it. You know, I took Dak early, and I went with a Dak Cam combination. You have a lot of confidence, it seems, in Joe Joe Burrow, and it looks like you went with the strategy to take those late sleeper tight ends and go receiver he- heavy, which is probably contrarian in this sc- scoring format because everyone thought they could s- slide a little bit on receivers. I think, but there was definitely some great value there early. What was your mindset behind that approach, and why are you so confident in Joe Burrow, Ian?
3: Uh, I got the running backs and wide receivers early just because that those guys kind of fell to me, and, I mean, I have – obviously everyone has Saquon number two, but like I have James Conner and I think Melvin Gordon, I think 14 RB 14, RB 15 in my ranking. So I was really happy to get them in rounds of four and five. And Devont, I mean, Devontae and Hopkins, how can you turn down two of the top five wide receivers on that turn? So I've been going like just super running back heavy in most drafts, but I came away with kind of more wide receivers than this, just because they were available. And then on the Joe Burrow, I mean, we've had six rookie QB ones since 2010. It's been Dak, Kyler, Andrew Luck, Cam, RG3, and uh, one more dude. And the two differences, the two main things with the whole group were they were a week one starter and they averaged at least 25 rushing yards per game in college burrow has got both. I mean, he was at 27 at LSU. He, he likes to throw first. He's not, you know, Cam Newton out there by any stretch of the imagination. But the guy's got a decent rushing floor, quiet, sneaky weapons, and Cincy. Don't love the schedule. You know, this funky offseason, you know, trusting a tr- trusting a rookie to really get that high-end production early. A little bit worrisome. But, I, no, I'm in on the Burrow train, train. I have him as my QB 12. Cam as my QB 13. I just keep moving him up. I am not haven't gotten him quite as high as Liz just yet, but we'll see by the end of the night.
1: So if we have you on the show at the end of August, I think it's safe to say Cam Newton will be quarterback one by then. Uh, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So like I said, with everything that's going on this off season, just to keep our Scott Fishbowl teams intact, I hope we have a season because, you know, we want to see how this plays out and how our research has really played out and what we're right on, what we're wrong on. And let's transition into more of the dynasty talk now. But before we do, and Dan and Mitch, they they love the pre-recorded read that I did. But let's cut away for one minute to hear from our sponsor. Who out there is ready to unveil their summer body? I'll be the first to admit that quarantine hasn't necessarily been great for my physique. But at least I don't look like I'm wearing a bear rug on my chest. I have already gone on one vacation this year. And even though I might not have that six pack, guys, my chest, it was silky smooth. Go to manscaped.com. And check out the Perfect Package 3.0 kit, which includes the Lawnmower 3.0 body trimmer with a ton of other great stuff. And if you subscribe to the Perfect Package, not only are you going to get a new blade refill delivered to your front door every three months, but for a limited time, you're going to get two free gifts. You're going to get the travel bag and also the high-performance reduced chafing manscape boxer briefs. And I can tell you, they are beyond comfortable. So go over to manscaped.com, check out all of the great products they have, and use code THEORY20 to get not only 20% off, but also free shipping. Again, that's code THEORY20 for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Dan and Mitch, have you tried those boxers yet? No, nope, sure they, haven't. <laughs> they are actually very comfortable. <laughs> Good to know. So when, when we're off the pod here, Mitch, you're getting ready for bed. Get your Manscaped boxes on. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. All right, guys, let's talk about some dynasty. And this can go in, it's going to go in a multiple different directions here. But I kind of want to focus on the positional breakdown and what we've learned throughout the offseason, whether it's our preferences for the position as a whole, or it's a specific player that we're higher or lower on. So like I said, it can go up, down, left, right, sideways, diagonal. We're going to go in a lot of different directions here. But Ian, of course, our guest of honor, we're going to start with you. Let's start with the quarterbacks. What's something that you've been looking at here throughout this offseason?
3: Just how it's more late round than it's ever been. I mean, the amount of options just everywhere. I can talk myself into like 25 of these dudes, it seems like, at some point. I mean, I'm coming away with a ton of Burrow and a ton of Cam just because I'm pretty, you know, much higher on them than the consensus. So they're usually falling there to me. But even beyond those guys, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, those weapons he has and probably the league's worst defense in Carolina, I mean, that's, exactly what we're looking for, and he's got a decently soft schedule to open the year. Gardner Minshew, fifth in rushing yards last year. He's going outside the top 20 QBs. And I mean, before Foles got back healthy, he was, you know, slinging it to DJ Chark making plays all over the place. But the one real interesting one that I'm liking more and more is – tyrod taylor to start the season i mean i was just looking the effect that this dude is going to have on the rushing offense with the chargers is going to be wild i mean i was just uh doing some uh research at pff and we have uh, team-wide yards before contact every single year the 2015 and 2016 Bills owned two of the top four highest marks of the last five years with the Lamar Jackson Ravens and the Kyler Murray Cardinals. I mean, having that rushing quarterback under center just enables the entire rest of the running game specifically. And that's why, you know, I've been high in Austin Eckler the whole offseason because everyone's complaining about the lack of targets. That's fine. But the rushing efficiency uh, could go up. And so, real quick, Tyrod's starts the season. He's got the Bengals, the Chiefs, Panthers, great. Got to survive two road trips to Tampa and then New Orleans. But it's a short week after the New Orleans game. And then it's Jets, Dolphins, Jaguars, and Raiders before the bye. I mean, if he gets eight games, he could be a
1: QB one by the time they get their bye. Mm-hmm. Mitch, do you hear that? This is why we bring on these types of guests, much smarter than us. He said, do not worry about Austin Eckler. I hope you heard that.
2: Well, I completely agree. The running game will be okay. It just might not be Austin Eckler running it. That might be the only issue.
1: All right, we'll see. Uh, Ian, one question I have, because I kind of shrug Mitch off every once in a while, and he does the same to me, but one question I have about Tyrod Taylor, I have him stashed on so many dynasty teams, and we play super flex and two quarterbacks, so obviously the value is definitely inflated. How long do you think we see them stick with Tyrod Taylor? And I think a lot of it depends on if they're winning or not, or if they're competitive at least. So essentially, how long do you think they stick with him, and when is the time that you might be looking to move him, again, in a super flex or two-quarterback dynasty league?
3: I think it's that five-and-a-half game mark, and when I had uh, Evan Sova on our PFF Fantasy Pod talking QBs, that was the mark we ended up settling on. He was a little higher on it at first, but going at the Buccaneers and at the Saints, that's going to be tough to make it out alive after that, but it is that short week until the week six Jets game, so... If, if he gets past five and a half, I think he's going to roll up there and get eight or nine starts. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with it because top ten picks, I mean, they don't sit on the bench. And Justin Herbert is just that. It's something like 13 of the last 15 top ten picks started at least ten games as a rookie. I mean, you know, we get the Patrick Mahomes. I guess he wasn't even top ten. But you get the Patrick Mahomes, you know, few and far between first-round quarterbacks that spend the year on the bench. But usually, unless things are going pretty perfect, they're going to make that trigger. I mean, they're going to make that switch pretty quick.
1: So is it safe to say maybe after that stretch of three somewhat manageable games maybe that's when we kind of look to move on from him especially if that five and a half is the the mark we're setting? Yeah, I'd say that'd
3: be a good call after week three, especially if he just yeah if he just rips apart the Panthers in week week three. Right. Yeah, I
1: like that. And Mitch, what are your thoughts here? Because we've talked about quarterback strategy at nauseum here, and I think we're really in line with what Ian's saying, not necessarily fading the position entirely but waiting beyond those first couple quarterbacks because obviously they're going extremely early in dynasty startups
2: yeah there's probably 25 quarterbacks this year i could talk myself into in superflex i mean there's a couple that i can't but besides that i'm okay with almost all of them because they're gonna in the superflex leagues you're gonna have to start them there isn't a huge difference you know difference between quarterback 10 and quarterback 20 so just give me any of them and i'll end up being okay as long as you know they're not old or get
1: injured. Uh oh, Dan's already ready. Oh jeez, oh, no. you're cut co- Ian <sighs> Dan throws the red flag. You know, typically we try to limit him to two challenges. I don't think he's ever challenged a guest, so you're safe. But all right, Dan, what do you have? <laughs> because you have an issue with that.
0: Um, Mitch is talking too wishy washy there, confident about no. like, like and talking himself into 20 quarterbacks. If, if we're in any of our leagues, you wouldn't want half of them if they were offered to you in a trade in a Which trade. Why? And they, they won. won. Well, I mean, we know you love Gardner Minshew, so I'll give you See, that. You definitely have conviction on your boy, what Gardner. Of
2: a, like, I won't get Drew Locke, but besides but that. But,
0: but we're talking dynasty here. So, to me, the position feels insecure from a dynasty perspective, related to whether it be job security or talent, uh, making it important for me on my rosters to secure as much of an elite number one as possible and the best number two that I could obtain because you look at a lot of these guys, I mean, how long are they going to hold jobs for? Like, do you really feel confident in Gardner Minshew holding that job long term in Jacksonville? He may. I mean, if he's as talented as you think he is, Mitch, it's possible. But I don't have any faith in Jacksonville. Ty God, San Diego, or. Listen to me, San Diego, the (laughs) LA Chargers there. I mean, they are kind of sneaky. I took Eckler. I love Eckler. I still believe in Keenan Allen with those quarterbacks. I think they're going to have to produce points somehow to keep up with Kansas City, and it's kind of shaping up to be an interesting division. But I do not feel good about the quarterback position in Dynasty. In redraft and the Scott Fish Bowl, I think there's a lot of ways you could go. I've definitely talked myself up to Cam. So Cam's one of those number two guys I like to go with Dak Prescott there on my Dynasty rosters.
1: For me personally, and again, I've talked about this several times, I think it's that 10 to 18 range that I'm comfortable with targeting because that's where you're getting the Matthew Staffords in Dynasty. And, oh, he's old. Give me him for the next three years over a lot of these younger players, especially at his current price. So I'm somewhere in the middle there. I'm not quite with Dan because if Dan doesn't get Dak Prescott, he throws a fit <laughs> and and the cardboard cutout gives him you know, a, a lecture. For not taking them, but I'm not quite where Mitch is, and I think where Ian is that, you know, 25 quarterbacks. I think that might be a little pushing it, but you know, I, th- that's what's that's what we love about superflex. There are so many different strategies, and the values are all over the place. It makes things so much more interesting, and we could spend probably five hours just discussing quarterbacks. But for Ian's sake, because hold on,
3: hold on, no, I got one question for you guys on quarterback. Yeah. Uh, Dak Prescott, Stan. All right, Dak or Deshaun for the next five years.
0: Jerry Jones is kind of disturbing right now. Cause I'm a little yeah. nervous <laughs> that they're not going to be able to keep Dak Prescott, but then he lands somewhere in Indianapolis maybe. And it's still a good deal. Uh, my, my concern with Deshaun and, and I said this in previous shows, Ian, and I love him. Like if it, like my heart aside, if you're taking, taking talent, I'd build my roster around Deshaun Watson before Dak Prescott, Fair. but I'm really concerned that his offense is all going to be on the injured reserve by the end of this year. Uh, Cooks fuller, David Johnson, everybody's injury riddled on that offense. Yeah. So I'm very concerned. And the offensive line's not really one that's known for protecting them. So love Watson talent wise, but I'm concerned about what's going on in Houston.
3: That's the big debate. I mean, I, I agree. I think Watson is the better quarterback, but man, that, that Cowboys offense has set up the ball for, for mm-hmm. years. So it's, it's tough.
1: And I know there's question marks surrounding Dak Prescott and is Jerry Jones going to screw this up? Mitch and I think he will, but we don't know where Deshaun Watson's going to be mm-hmm. beyond 2020. We don't. We don't know. What, you know what's going to go on with him. So we'll see. Mitch, you're raising your eyebrow.
2: Where's he going to go? Of course, he's not leaving the Texans. He's not going anywhere. He was sending out some iffy Drake song lyrics, man. Yeah, you got to pay attention to his lyrics. Oh, my <laughs> bad. My bad. I'll catch you up on all that.
1: That reminds me of like back in the day on uh, AIM AOL Instant Messenger, you put song lyrics and stuff in there, or you know. It, that, that's what we need. We need AIM back here, I think. But all right, let, let's go to running backs. And Ian, what are things that you're looking at? And I think this is going to be an interesting discussion because Dan is our resident pound running back early in draft. So let, let, let's see what you have. And that might be the internet connection he was talking about. Yep. Unless Ian unless Ian just hasn't blinked or moved in about 15 <laughs> seconds. He's really happy right now. Yeah, I mean, he's on dynasty theory. Why wouldn't he be happy? <laughs> but, Dan, let's talk about your running back strategy. And, you know, I think for overall, we have a pretty good idea of what that is. But, Jake. yeah, but for dynasty purposes, what are we looking at at running back? Because I think the strategy overall with how we're looking at this running back landscape, I think there's a little bit of variation between the three of our strategies.
0: Yeah, I like this. We'll go reverse order until Ian fixes the internet, like he warned us about. To me, the running back position thin, very thin. It's unstable. I'm um, keeping a close eye on this position as I believe running back selection is gonna win leagues. You know, I mean, like Mitch said earlier in the show, those late running backs that you pick, someone's gonna break for you. There's gonna be an injury, something's gonna happen, but it's a matter of finding that. So I'm not neglecting this position. I like to have at least one elite. Um, believe it or not, I mean, everyone wants CMC first. I would take Barkley over Zeke this year. I'm a little bit concerned about Zeke's just conditioning a little bit and just how serious he's taking things. Don't get me wrong, he's top four for me still. Uh, I go CMC, Barkley, Zeke, Derrick, Henry, and I want to have two to three bell cows or lead backs plus depth on my squads. Ian, we're holding it down until you get it back, man. You, you left with a, fr- a frozen smile, so it was good. <laughs> Sorry about that. I got, I got, I got an
3: optimum Wi-Fi on the other tab trying to figure this thing out. But, yes, all things running backs.
1: No, you're fine. I said either – you're just extremely excited to be on dynasty theory because like (laughs) they said, you were frozen or you just haven't moved or blinked in like 30 seconds. I wasn't sure which one it was, but Dan is really, he's into that robust running back strategy that people are obviously talking about, but you're going in a different direction. And I would like to see if it's any different from redraft versus dynasty.
3: No, I'm kind of in on robust RB. I what, What's what been grinding my gears lately is this modified zero RB talk. It's not zero RB. We can't just say it's a modified version of something that it isn't.
1: Like I saw your can, tweet earlier today t- saying exactly that.
3: Yeah, I was you know, preparing for this show, and I was just getting mad at myself even thinking about it. This is ridiculous. Like, robust, R, R, robust RB, that makes sense. You're getting a bunch of RBs. Zero R RB means... Zero RB means you're not drafting one until the fifth or sixth round. So don't draft one with your first overall pick and then try to tell me it's modified zero RB. I think it's a good strategy. I mean, I find myself doing plenty of modified zero RB, but we got to find a name for it,
1: people. I mean, it's pissing me off. <laughs> I, I can tell you, it, it even forced you. You were getting so jacked up, you had to leave the show for a minute. So I understand that. <laughs> exactly. Mitch, Mitch I, I, what are your thoughts here?
2: So let's say this is just a normal 12-team league where you have two starting running backs, so 24 starting, at least 24 running backs are starting each week. I want four of those top 24 running backs on my team. Like, I could find a wide receiver, I could find a quarterback, but I can't go out on the waiver wire and find good running backs. So I want four really good ones on my team before the season even starts. I'll say the one
0: thing to the... Sorry, John. Just the one thing to that, Mitch. I think it's hard to get that fourth. I'm with you on three. I'll even go back to Ian's Scott Fishbowl draft. You know, he was he was lucky enough to have a top pick, so he landed Barkley. You know, I mentioned before having one of those elite backs. But then your number two, number three backs, you have James Conner and Melvin Gordon, like he has on that roster. And if you want to mix those names up, you know, and Aaron Jones, Nick Chubbs, Ecklers, you're in a good place. Aaron Jones, at least three.
1: Now, now for pure dynasty purposes, Ian, what are your thoughts on, obviously, the running back landscape? It has completely changed over time, and they're not giving those running backs those lucrative second contracts. For the most part, we see it from time to time. We saw Derrick Henry just get that four-year extension, but what are your thoughts on the landscape changing, the plethora of talent coming in in 2020 and 2021? Does that play a role? If you're in a startup today, would you maybe look to fade running back at this point?
3: Maybe, man. I mean, this year, especially just every single one of these top six rookie running backs are going to be in some sort of committee. Cam Akers is the one that kind of intrigues me because – if he can break out of that and, you know, McVeigh, it's been a girly bell cow situation for the last three years. I mean, even last year, after they kind of tried to get Malcolm Brown involved a little bit, it just kind of went back to the girly show, it just wasn't nearly as effective as we saw in past years. So, I mean, Cam Akers, they kind of drafted them to be the guy in the second round. And, you know, it's obviously one of the softest depth charts in the league to kind of overcome but yeah, in general, I mean, if you look at just the rankings in general, I think all these running backs are probably priced, you know, five spots ahead of where they probably should be. I mean, even like Jonathan Taylor, like Marlon Mack has gone for over a thousand yards, two straight years. He's not just going to hit the bench. Damian Williams just balls out in every playoff game they have. He's not just going to hit the bench. Now, At least in Kansas City, it's a two-back backfield instead of, you know, a three or four-back situations uh, with uh, Clyde Solaire. So, you know, I can talk yourself into all of them, but give me the incumbent starters here all day. Like I'm taking James Conner over either of those rookies oh, every, every day of the week, you know, give me that featured role potential. And I'm kind of going back to well on a uh, David Montgomery too, just because it's 250 touches and they don't have anyone else to handle the rock other than my boy Cordero. Cause you know, Tariq Cohen, I'm sorry, like get that dude off the field at some point. I and mean, he was so inefficient last year. And honestly, it might be more Nagy's fault because I feel like they've never kind of gotten Tariq. Just they don't just put him on at running back and let him play. It's always like some weird gadget play, and I feel like they don't do a good job describing it. So I'm not really trying to hit on Tariq, but Montgomery can catch the ball, and it'd be great to see him get more opportunities to do that. So I agree, it's it's around 24 backs, but even then, I mean, I'm I don't really want Fournette Gurley. Oh, man, it's kind of like those top 18 or 19, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of questions. Heck, you could put the question marks on probably once you get outside the top 10, honestly, just whether it's a contract, injury history, the committee. But I love your comment here. You have a note here to wrap up the running back section. And it's kind of that committee approach to make sure you land a starter. Why don't you talk about that for a little bit?
3: Yeah, if you're going zero RB this year, like actual zero RB, wait until round five or six. I think the latest like potential committee starters you can get are in Tampa Bay and Miami. And you know, I'm not a Ronald Jones stand or anything. Usually, I just like Ronald Jones and conversations that involve Peyton Barber, and now everyone's really freaking out about it. So I don't, I don't know if Keyshawn Bonds is big threat though. That's the thing. It's a weak backfield, and like if they would have gotten any other of these top rookie backs, I think we would have been more worried. But either way, it's probably going to be mostly those two guys. I know Dari's still there, but at, at a minimum, we can expect most of the carries to be split between uh, Jones and Vaughn, and he's got that upside. And when these guys are going RB30 or later, there's just not many, like, committee starters left. You can get Tevin Coleman, I guess, but otherwise, like, you're looking at just true backups in that range. So same thing with Miami, Jordan Howard, Matt Breida, should be a pretty clear cut to RB system. I'm fine with, uh, you know, going after one of those guys if we can project 10 touches per game reasonably that's great otherwise give me these handcuffs and like i was doing a uh i just published today like my favorite or not even my favorite just who in my rankings are much higher than adp consensus and like the top five or six running backs were these handcuffs latavius murray alexander madison tony parlor uh chase edmonds probably darrington evans i mean they gave deon lewis a three down roll i don't know why they wouldn't give evans one so i think those five guys are all like going kind of five 10 picks later than they should because again one injury away in a year where now just you know getting sick could be more prevalent than ever you, you want those guys on your bench
1: Dan, you and I, we were about to throw down in our Dynasty Theory Listener League chat the other day, and you know what I'm going to talk about, the Miami backfield. And and Mitch, do you notice whenever, whenever Dan and I get into it, he always goes, oh, sorry, guys, going for a run. Dude, <laughs> you should be in the best shape ever because you're going for a run constantly because you and I were always bickering in our chat. But Dan, share your thoughts on that Miami backfield because I would love to get Ian's take afterwards.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm on the Jordan Howard side where JB's, you know, with Breida there. And my rationale behind that is the conditioning that Jordan Howard, when he's in shape, he has produced. And I just think they signed him to be the guy. Breida had trouble holding on to the ball. He had trouble staying healthy. And I just, I don't see him being more than a little change of pace, kind of break an occasional big one if he could stay healthy. But uh, I think Jordan Howard's
1: there to be the guy, JB. Dan, don't don't put words in my mouth because you did it in the chat. And now you're doing it here in front of the millions of viewers that we get weekly on Dynasty Theory. But I don't think it's Matt I, I Look at the projections that we have pinned on my Twitter account. I said it's going to be about a 50-50 split with Matt Rita more involved in the passing game. That's not a glowing endorsement for Matt Rita by any means. And I love Jordan Howard. I have him everywhere. So give him 300 touches, please. But, Ian, talk some sense into Dan – and if you're on his side, I might have to kick you out from the chat here.
0: There's no 50-50 split. Start with that, Ian. 60-40. Oh, man. Oh, you put me on the
3: spot here. I do think it's going to be closer to 50-50. Howard's just such a zero in the pass game. The guy kept Miles Sanders on the bench, so he's clearly talented. I mean, okay, I'll say this. I think the touch count is going to be 60-40 in Howard's favor. The snap count will be closer to 50-50, I think, because Breeder can do some big good things, you know, as a receiver. But it's really concerning that Kyle Shanahan, you know, the – Biggest running back whisper of the last ten years was so willing to give away Brita when you know their backfield isn't exactly stock full. So I'm definitely Howard over Brita. I don't, I don't really see either of them doing too much. I mean, this is an offense where Ryan Fitzpatrick led the team in rushing last season. I know they've tried to do some things with the offensive line, and maybe Tua, you know, just comes in early and really makes some things happen. But in a vacuum, yeah, uh, give me Howard over Brita. But I think it's a little bit closer than Dan saying. <laughs> Howard's now convinced like three separate coaching staffs to give him. Mm -hmm. I mean, if he would have played last year, he would have gotten over 250 touches again. Like
1: that's Mm -hmm. pretty wild. Mitch, you and I, we sat down together. We did these projections. Mm -hmm. Can you please explain to Dan what, what our mindset was here and what our thought process, or are you flipping the script here on me?
2: No. So I was always a huge Jordan Howard guy until we did the projections ends up when you, when they're in a 50, 50 split, You don't want the rushing guy. You want to have the PPR guy because those targets are going to be worth more than the carries are. So I actually like Matt Breida more than Jordan Howard, but I actually have a lot more Jordan Howard on my teams because of his price, you know, back in January and February.
1: Mitch probably worded that a lot better than I did because I'm just so riled up over here, guys. I'm I'm so (laughs) riled up. And and I can't even talk about running backs anymore. That's how upset I am. So let's go to wide receivers. And Ian, this first comment you have here, man preach cuz we're on board you <laughs>
3: Well, yeah, uh, whoever was saying earlier about there being 25 quarterbacks you can talk yourself into, I can talk myself into like 60 of these wide receivers. You know, that's why I'm not, I know, I'm hardly the first fancy dude to be like, go get your running backs early because you can talk yourself into wide receivers all day. I mean, it's not anyone can figure this out. Go to a best ball draft, do a mock draft, and see how the running backs look in round five and six and see how the wide receiver looks. I mean, don't, you, don't just take my word for it, do it yourself. And, you know, the two teams I find myself focusing on in these, you know, Later mid rounds are the Giants and Texans wide receivers, you know, in that they're going like the late wide receiver 30s, wide receiver 40s range even. I think uh probably Will Fuller, Darius Slayton are not early 30s range. They're the most expensive ones. But Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Brandon Cooks, even Randall Cobb, like way later, all these dudes are going to be in three wide receiver sets in pretty high octane passing offenses, especially for the Texans, as long as they can stay on the field. They're all being priced at their floor i mean it's like you know deandre hopkins this year he he better perform at his ceiling because he's being drafted as a wide receiver one like brandon cooks has joined two new teams and gotten a thousand yards in his first year with them he could easily do that again with the watson under center just needs a little bit of health and you know it's obviously it's a problem with him and fuller but that's why they're being drafted outside the top 30 wide receivers to begin with if these dudes didn't have any injury concerns they'd be going as wide receiver one so Talked about that running back upside. I want all the wide receiver upside, and I see a ton of it in Houston.
1: Just like Dan mentioned earlier, if Fuller misses time, if Cooks misses time, Randall Cobb could be a really sneaky PPR option there in Houston. So him, man. I, I, yeah, and I, I have him stashed everywhere. Um, you know, we've talked about this so many times, so I don't know if the three of us will really get into it, but the scoring is just so flat, right, especially mm-hmm. after the, the top guys – so many guys could emerge. And I think a lot of it's going to be based on touchdown variants. You know, I think a lot of people are going to be separated by very few points. So it's going to be interesting. Um, you have a few guys here. They're undisputed number one target hogs. Who do you like here in 2020? That, well, one I think is everyone likes, but there's two that are interesting here.
3: Yeah, two, a uh, couple guys I'm higher on. I mean, Devontae Adams, my wide receiver two. I some people, I guess, find that controversial. At least that's one of my editors told me. I, I don't really think it is. He's going to get maybe 200 freaking targets if things go right for him, I and mean, they have no one else in Green Bay to take away the ball. So, uh, but the other ones I'm really higher on the consensus. Adam Thielen's my wide receiver six. Allen Robinson's my wide receiver seven. I just think you know you look across the league, and I mean. I'm running down these depth charts. There's just like maybe Michael Thomas, I guess he's going to get 160 plus targets. doesn't matter if Emmanuel Sanders is there anymore. But there's truly only four or five guys that are just undisputed, no matter what, they're going to lead their offense and targets. And I think these are those guys. And yeah, you have their concerns, like what happens when a defense focuses all their attention on this number one receiver i don't know guys we still live in a world where you move a guy in the slot and they're getting covered with linebackers for half the game so i'm chasing those targets and and thielen's case in particular like gary Kubiak's running back one yeah that's great but his wide receiver one's been killer over the years too i mean from rod smith to andre johnson good demarius thomas years he even got old man steve smith a great season with the ravens once upon a time so just he, he can elevate him Dillon's been balling the last few years with Kirk Cousins even last year before he got hurt he was scoring touchdowns almost every single game so I know Diggs only had 94 targets but the amount of deep balls that were involved with those they were pretty fancy friendly 94 I think they're just going to revamp it with and the dude's going to push for 150 targets potentially so it's you know just when you look at these wide receivers remember I mean like DJ Moore amazing talent I'm not hating on him but he's might very well be a number two receiver in his own offense if McCaffrey, you know, man, just out target him and uh, you know Tyree Kill, amazing if he gets the 180 targets, I'll put him above Devontae and Michael Thomas. But Kelsey's probably gonna lead the team in targets. So just remember, we got running backs and tight ends to pay attention to in certain offenses.
1: Mitch, I don't know about you, but I feel great about our wide receiver rankings based on the projections now because we actually and I have this pulled up. Allen Robinson, wide receiver five. Adam Thielen wide receiver eight and what we did with when we did our projections we went in trying to look at it and not thinking okay we want this guy to end up here so this is what we're going to do we put all the inputs in try to be as objective as possible and this is what spit it out and when we saw Adam Thielen was wide receiver eight I actually messaged Mitch and said we might have to adjust something because I think that's too high but we might have to move him up even more now Mitch
2: (laughs) yeah like my only notes for this was like The number one, like, I'm not picky with who it is on my team. I'm okay with Julio. I'm okay with Galladay. I'm okay with A-Rob, Juju, Odell, Thielen. I'm okay with all these guys because I don't think, like, I love Michael Thomas, but I don't love his price. Like, if I can have Michael Thomas on every team, I'd love to have him, but at his price right now, just way too expensive. And after him, I mean, Devontae Adams is the stud, too. I'd love to have him, but there's... Eight or nine guys as my wide receiver one, I'm completely okay with because scoring-wise, they'll be within 20 points of each other by the end of the season.
1: Yep, and we've talked about that so many times. Dan, any thoughts here on wide receivers? Yeah, man, we all agree they're loaded. I think it's really going to come down to how we evaluate talent.
0: With everybody here on the Thielen talk, I mean, it just all makes sense. It's all adding up. A-Rob, as much as I love him, guys, I'm sorry. I have you know just flashes of Nick Foles burning me last year in DFS, and then late in drafts. I'm worried about the Bears a little bit to get them too high. No one's talking about my boy Amari Cooper, and it's driving me crazy right yeah. now about all these guys. Because, you know, we're talking about being running back heavy. So, you, you know, you go running back heavy early, and then you're going to get, hey, you get out and feeling awesome. But Amari Cooper is now sliding into the fourth round. Just because CeeDee Lamb gets drafted, everybody's off Cooper all of a sudden. Well, CeeDee Lamb's a rookie still. He's better than Randall Cobb, Yes. But is he, is he going to do more than 55 catches and, you know, six, 700 yards in his rookie year? Maybe. I still think Amari Cooper is the guy there. And Now you're getting him in the fourth round. And then getting off the Cowboys train, I love Hollywood Brown as a number one wide receiver in Baltimore. I, I think it's going to be him and Andrews all day. I think that passing game elevates a little bit. So I love where I'm getting Hollywood, one of my favorite picks.
1: Yeah. I hope you enjoy those 50 targets this year as their wide receiver one. <laughs> but you're looking at it right here, Dan. Michael Gallup, on a per-game basis, more targets in 2019. For some reason, people forget about him, even the Cowboys fan there. But the point that Ian was making is that those are the receivers that unquestioned number one target share on their offense. How much are you willing to wager? How confident are you, are, are you Dan, that Amari Cooper, without a doubt, leads that team in targets? More confident than a Adams, the or A-Rob? I think
0: he outproduces a Rob. I'll put him against a Rob. Thielen. I. I mean, he is clearly the number one receiver. But I'm also betting on Dallas's offense, just being very explosive, similar to. I'm buying in on Kansas City and Baltimore. I love those offenses for thirty some points a game, with an occasion, a couple of games that are just forty plus.
1: See, we talk about DeAndre Hopkins all the time as being a quarterback that's or a wide receiver that's quarterback proof. I think Allen Robinson is showing that as well. And in in our group chat. Mitch, how many times last year did Dan curse at, at uh, Nick Foles? He sends a little emoji with the, the swearing mouth. I remember the specific week that still pisses him off to this day
2: because he had a great millionaire maker lineup and Nick Foles killed it. I mean, he lost him tens of thousands of dollars that week. <laughs> it's, so it's ever when, it's, since it's when he you got hurt, it was the Nick week he Foles. got hurt. Yeah, it was yeah. horrible. Everybody Ford.
0: smashed the end, and then there was Nick Foles <laughs> with just that one touchdown. The scoring stopped.
3: That was a yeah, pretty touchdown, th- man. That little t- token teardrop mm-hmm. deep ball he throws off the screen. But he's objectively the best quarterback of A-Rob's like collegiate and professional career. It's a joke what that dude has had to go through. All right, I want you guys' opinion, though, on the other Bears' wide receiver. Because I think Tony Miller yeah. about to yep. ball out. I mean, dude scored seven touchdowns with a bump shoulder as a rookie. Last year, I mean, once Taylor Gabriel got hurt, Miller was like a borderline wide receiver one for about a month. So, you know, I know we can't take the best stretch of the dude's career moving forward, but we have either Foles under center, and we were all freaking out jizzing ourselves over D.D. Westbrook with Nick Foles last year with his you know <laughs> high slot usage in the past. We don't really mention that as much. Or we have Trubisky, who in Miller has been his number one most efficient receiver in terms of adjusted yards per attempt throughout Trubisky's career. So when Gabriel wasn't there, Miller got fed. And I think Ted Ginn, I mean, that's a more clear-cut field stretcher, I think, than Gabriel was in that offense. So I'm really excited to see what Miller can do in year two. Now maybe, you know, it's a repeat of 2018 and, or 2019, and Tariq Cohen's their starting slot receiver in week one for some God-knows-why reason. But there's no more Mike Davis, I guess, to give Nagy too bad of ideas. So
2: so with Anthony Miller, he's going right now in Dynasty as wide receiver 63 per Dynasty League football. Oh. and. Like he's going to be on the field for as many snaps as he's healthy for. He'll be on the field. It could be 95% of the snaps. So there's an easy chance that he sees 80, 85 targets this year. And at that price, I absolutely love him.
1: Uh, Looking at our projections and before I spit out the number, Mitch, that was a low ball from what we have, but Ian, give me an over under on Anthony Miller targets. I don't know if you've, you know, statted anything out, but off the top of your head, what are you feeling? uh
3: freaking if Tariq Cohn wasn't there that's what I'm talking about I don't know I don't think he's the number two pass game option on his own team he's probably number three uh I'd say over under i got go like 95 and a half
1: well I, I like how it's, you get so pers- 95 and a half <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we have him at 108 actually so oh, I like I, that. I like we that. actually we're, we're a little more I think ambitious here than than you are but what do, do you have Tariq at Oh, man, we had him at, oh, gosh, this font is small. Hold on, you guys are getting a close-up <laughs> of my face real quick. I'm, I'm um, making
3: change positions, too. That's my bad.
1: <laughs> uh, we had him at 96 targets.
3: Okay, yeah, I, I I could see that, you know, 95 and a half. So, one of them is going to get a little bit above the triple-digit mm-hmm. mark and the other one's not. If we could get that separation even more so in Tony Miller's favor, ooh, that would be good. Yep.
1: Yeah, just like Mitch said, he's basically free 99 in dynasty started right <laughs> now he's probably more difficult to acquire in existing leagues because yep. if people like us have him we're not going to move him for cheap now ian I, I try not to get too uh flustered and frustrated with guests but i might have to with this next point you have there's one more wide receiver you want to bring up
3: aj brown the future of the position the future <laughs> of the league perhaps no i know i mean i am I am chasing talent over volume, man. I am breaking the cardinal sin of fantasy football, but I just feel like it's warranted. When you average 12 and a half yards per target, when you are literally the most efficient rookie receiver we have ever seen, I mean, this dude, I, I thought he was just like a yak monster at first, like a running back playing receiver, but you actually see Paulish Routes and he's catching jump balls over multiple Texans and stuff. The volume's troublesome, but I mean, if they just Aren't the same monster they were last year. I think we're going to see them easily clear that 100 target mark. And God forbid the guy gets 120 plus. What could he do with that? So it's one of those things where I just want him on my team so bad. I have him uh, bumped up to wide receiver nine at this point. So, you know, if, uh, you know, putting Odell, Juju ahead of him, I guess. But man, I, I just think we're about to see a three, four year run stretch of AJB killing it. I want him on every squad I can get him.
1: Like he said, he was so efficient in that yards after catch it was absurd. And one of the things that you look at for these rookies and I, I dove into it was yards per route run and PFF. It is the best resource for information like that. And you, you go into it. And when rookies hit a certain threshold for yards per route run, it's a pretty good indicator of future success. And AJ Brown, he was a monster last. It was like two point eight or something like that. I might be-
3: Seven. Only Stefan Diggs and Michael Thomas were more efficient.
1: Okay, two, two then, pretty good guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So he's in great company. And Mitch, do you still have up the DLF ADP?
2: I don't know. I had that for a different show that I was on.
1: <laughs> Here, can you pull that up real quick for me, and yeah. we'll bounce it over to Dan for a second. Dan, what are your thoughts on AJ Brown? Are you comfortable with the, you know, his role in that offense and? the perceived limited opportunities in the passing game to have him as high as clearly Ian has him?
0: I think I'm right where Ian is. I mean, you just you just love the guy and you want to have him. And especially in Dynasty, it's a no-brainer. Now, Scott Fishbowl, I'm probably going to have regrets because I took Keenan Allen over him in the, I think, fifth round there. And I'm actually looking at it now. So seventh round, I took Keenan Allen. A.J. Brown went four picks later. So that, that was the tough decision for me there. But Ian's right now with he, with uh, A.J. Brown. He's the real deal.
1: Ian, who would you take in, in redraft strictly for 2020, Keenan Allen or A.J. Brown? I think we know the answer. Oh,
3: A.J. Brown, I don't think it's yeah. close. I mean, look, Keenan's a stud, but he's, you know, he's been getting like a top three target volume almost over these years. It's just hard to expect that. I think I probably should be higher on Keenan. I just love Mike Williams, too. I mean, that offense is so good.
1: Which yeah, is why a little...
3: we need Tyrod Taylor. Back to that. Right,
1: right. <laughs> and he's going to be the quarterback one going into week four. Um, Mitch, Dynasty <laughs> ADP. Where is A.J. Brown going on DLF and who's going right above him for wide receivers and who's going right after? Okay, so he's going pick 26
2: overall and Juju and D.J. Moore right ahead of him at 6 and 7. And right below him is Kenny Galladay and Mike Evans.
1: All right, Ian, for Dynasty purposes, how do you feel about those wide receivers? Are you taking A.J. Brown over D.J. Moore, over Juju, over Galladay? How high are you on A.J. Brown?
3: Man, DJ Moore, I'm in here and he's like a consensus top three dynasty wide receiver these days. Oh man, I'm treating them top five. I actually just did a dynasty startup uh last week and I got I came away with AJ Brown as my uh you know wide receiver one, got Terry McLaurin, I think a round or two later. This is a such, this, I mean, they're talking about, you know, this class, the 2020 class of wide receivers being special, but, you know, between McLaurin, Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, even, last year was loaded. You even got Darius Slayton, Hunter freaking Renfro popping up on the yards per round run stats. Yep. I mean, it's just like 10 dudes that balled out last year.
1: All right, Uh Mitch, I, I know how you feel about Kenny Galladay. And I already said, Michael, he's getting moved behind me next week because my Mm -hmm. Kenny Galladay jersey is going to be sitting right there off of a pristine auction. But how do you feel here? AJ Brown, Kenny Galladay, Juju, DJ Moore.
2: So I definitely go Galladay than AJ Brown. But the one thing that I think we always forget, we always talk about how these guys were really good on the amount of receptions they have. And some guys just end up being better than others. Like Tyreek Hill is an absolute smash and he gets 120 targets a year. But his 120 targets means so much more than anyone else getting 140 targets. So there's just these guys who outperform – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh,
3: like a fantasy-friendly to outperform expectation?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they could just outperform it, and we never catch up. It's Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has a higher touchdown rate than anyone else in the league. He averages six, um, 6% six each year, but everyone else averages 45 so at some point, some guys are just really good and we need to accept it.
1: Yeah, and, and we talk about efficiency. And then every every year we talk about guys, well, regression, regression, regression. And some guys, they they just don't come back down to earth. And you talked about Russell Wilson's touchdown percentage. Now, Dan, I want your opinion also on these four receivers. And Ian, I, I want to give my opinion, but you know, when we tweet out this episode, I, I don't want there to be any hard feelings. I'm hoping you retweet it. But out of those four, I think I'm going to have A.J. Brown as, as fourth. I'm going to take D.J. Moore, Juju, and Kenny Galladay no. over A.J. Brown. What are you taking? I, I Juju? Is Juju even the best wide receiver on his own team? Nope. <laughs> same, same thing, though. He might he might not be there, though, beyond 2020.
3: Yeah. I, the report's no, it's, coming it's, out. Those are four good wide receivers.
1: Yeah. Uh, Dan, any, any difference there? A
0: bet on talent. I mean, it, I am D.J. Moore, number one. He's just been on his bandwagon for since – his inception when it was Samuel Moore, I was screaming from the non Moore. <laughs> but I would say A.J. Brown, two, and then probably Gallaudet, three, and Juju, four.
1: And you could probably ask 10 different people, and you'll get so many different orders there. And there is a lot of talent, and I could see a case for all of them. And it's not a hate for A.J. Brown. Going into the rookie draft, Mitch and I said, A.J. Brown was our wide receiver, one in that class. But then we also, in the same breath, we said... He is not landing spot dependent, but what did we do when he went to Tennessee? We dropped him down our rack like absolute idiots. But I think that was a really great deep dive on wide receivers, what we're looking to do from the short and longer term perspective. Ian, close the show here. Tight ends, what do we like here?
3: Yeah. So, you know, especially redraft this year, it's the big three Kittle, Kelsey, and now Mark Andrews. You know, he was Zach Ertz for the last few years. After that, I am waiting, waiting, waiting. I mean, tight ends four through like 20, you can poke holes in the questions and like in po- poke holes in all of them. And sure, like Ertz has a higher target projection these other guys. I mean, Waller's great. You do, there's certain ones you take over others, but there's enough upside everywhere, enough questions everywhere to just wait. And the guys that I'm consistently grabbing are one Noah fan. I just think he is, you know, uh, age not not the A.J. Brown of tight ends, but this guy is so talented. And, you know, we just kind of, No rookie tight ends do anything since 2010. Only Evan Ingram and Gronk have been rookie tight end ones. So the fact fan did crack that. It's like eight yards per target club that we've only seen 10 or 11 tight ends get as a rookie since 2000 came around. He, he flashed a little bit last year and it is that yak ability. And people talk about regressing. It's also a nice indicator of who's, you know, really good at football. So I'm a big things from fan. I have him over Hawkinson. Cause look, it's a pretty unproven Broncos offense. They added Judy, they added Hamler, but these are rookies from him to beat out. That's okay. I mean, he's, probably be behind Sutton, but he could easily end up being that number two pass game option. And the next guy who could be his team's number one pass game option is Mr. Chris Herndon. Everyone's scared off. Everyone remembers what happened last year. We got a suspension and then, you know, allegedly pulling your hamstring while running routes against air. Like, it, it was awful. All of us that held him for those four weeks in suspension, I think there was even a buy in there. Like, it, it sucked. But now in redraft especially, he's going outside the top 20 tight ends and everything you hear from – you know, beat writers, it's like every time anyone asks Adam Gase or anyone about Le'Veon Bell, it's like the most negative thing possible. But Herndon, it's still positive. Like, they're really excited to get him back, and they want him in the system. And who's he got to fight for targets? Jamison Crowder? I mean, I'm, I'm not hating on Denzel Mims or even Perryman, who's been balling out uh, last two years. But it's just a very weak pecking order compared to these other teams, similar to Fant. And, yeah, both those guys can rise up the, the depth chart. I think they're both both extremely talented in their own rights as well
1: do you think there's enough opportunity in New York for Chris Herndon? I mean, we talk about the Gase pace and the way that he's typically utilized tight ends in in recent memory. And and this is actually one of the players I wanted to bring up when I told you there were some players, because I saw two tweets specifically, your A.J. Brown tweet and your Chris Herndon tweet, because somebody had like, wait on tight end, wait on tight end, and you said Chris Herndon. So I was like, I got to talk to him about that. I just, I don't know if there's enough opportunity there.
3: I mean, it's a little bit of a concern, but again, like, there's there's not as much opportunity as in, like, a Cowboys or one of these, like, you know, really high-scoring offenses, but he has a legit chance to be the number one guy there, and I think, you know, you go back to his rookie year, this wasn't some fluky, you know, check-down-induced uh, kind of uh, efficiency was picking up. He's making one-handed catches in traffic against the Packers and stuff. I mean, this dude, legit baller. We just haven't seen it for more than a year. And, yeah, it's the Jets' offense. I get it. He's about the only guy I want from this Jets' offense. But especially given the cost, I mean, why are, you, why are we taking, you know, uh, Kyle Rudolph or Irv Smith or one of the – you know, even like Dallas Goddard in redraft leagues over Herndon? I mean, those I, great guys, great players and everything. But, you know, give me that upside.
1: Yeah, he's he's dirt cheap, and just like I say in the intro, it's price dependent, and it really is, and it's the perfect price for Chris Herndon. Dan, any thoughts on tight ends? I know whenever Ian said Mark Andrews, you perked up a little bit.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I've been on that Andrews train, and tight ends, it's kind of like wide receiver light for me. You know we how we mentioned we could talk ourselves into so many wide receivers. I feel the same way about tight end. You could talk yourself into a lot of them later on, especially if you're not fortunate enough to get one of the top three. Um, you know, Ian broke it down well there, top three, and then there's a few more solid picks. And then I think it's like a lottery of potential breakout
1: tight. End. I think we're- oh, he's glitching boom. over there, he's glitching, boom. so there's a lot of talent. But Mitch, since uh, Uh-oh. you know, we'll throw the audible in there, what are your thoughts on tight end, Mitch?
2: So I've made it clear, I play in a lot of tight end premium leagues. I want Kelsey, I want Kittle, I want Andrews, and then if I don't get those guys, I will wait until everyone else is gone and I will just grab. Whoever's left at that point. I'm not picky. If it's Eric Ebron, so be it. I mean, I'm not picky at all.
1: Ian, I don't know what you did. You brought something with you. It's the Wi-Fi curse here. <laughs> I um, got so, cell man. But yeah, so I, I mean with that, I, I think a, a ton of great information from both the short and longer term perspective. And even though we did hit on a good amount of redraft tonight, we do know that on a week in and week out basis, dynasty values change. It is a fickle community. And we all know that. So, Ian, we want to thank you so much for coming on tonight. As if everyone doesn't know this, let them know where to find you on social media. Again, I say that to every guest, but it's so true. Everybody's following Ian. Let's be serious here. But tell them where to find you in any other projects that you're working on over there at PFF.
3: Thanks, dudes, And, yeah, I apologize for being soft earlier. A.J. Brown, rookie wide receiver one. I don't know why I was debating that. Give me him wide receiver one all day. But, yeah, find me on Twitter at IHeart. It's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. Uh, check out the PFF Fantasy Podcast. We have guests on Tuesday and thir- Tuesday and Thursday. And I have some, uh, you know, shorter 10-minute team preview episodes out throughout the week. Articles and podcasts can find through that Twitter. So, thanks again for having me on, dude. This was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, we, we had a lot of fun. Um, and like I said, PFF really is one of the optimal, you know, top end resources. And I'm, even though I, I've been known to gamble from time to time, there are times that I can get very stingy with my money. PFF is not one of them. I subscribe. Mitch, don't put your hand up. It's like, you've I never been join- stingy with your money. <laughs> I'll join like a $500 dynasty league, but I won't pay uh, for shipping costs from Target or something. It's like that. I can't do that. But yeah, PFF, the, you know, I forget the name of the highest level, but I've subscribed two years in a row. It has been fantastic for research, for the show, for writing. It's been absolutely incredible. And the work you're doing over there, Ian, it's, you know, just as great. So thank you for joining us. And Dan, hopefully you don't glitch here because it is time for your favorite segment. Final thoughts. Dan, lead us off before your Wi-Fi goes to hell. A
0: simple final thought tonight, man. I hope our listeners were taking notes and just keep listening to Ian, whether it's Dynasty, Redraft, DFS. He's going to give you some nuggets on all his shows. Ian, it's a pleasure tonight, man. Thanks,
2: man. Mitch? Yeah, I just want to say thanks again. It was a great show, a lot of good information there.
1: All right. Mitch likes to keep it short. Again, Ian, thank you. And we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, at Dynasty Theory FF. Be safe, be kind to each other, and have a great night.